Hi, I'm Debbie Georgettis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today on Deep Dive Monday, we're going to talk about firing ambassadors and pardoning patriots, the deep state department and impeachment zeal, a lot to tell you there, Attorney General Barr speaking truth at the Federalist Society, and Michelle Malkin versus YAF, when is it right to walk away? And finally, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. Hello again. Welcome to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis, and welcome to my first five on this Deep Dive Monday. Washington is all a Twitter and uh, complaining about the idea in, in the course of this impeachment proceeding that President Trump had fired the ambassador to the Ukraine. This happened earlier in the spring, and she's been a big witness in Washington in the impeachment hearing. Uh, her name was uh, is Yovanovitch. Uh, she was fired um, by the president after reports that she was not loyal to his agenda. We're going to talk a little later in the next segment about a much deeper dive into what the reason was why there was so much attention on the Ukraine probably in a president, when President Trump had his conversation with President Zelensky, but the whole uh, behind the scenes, what was happening in the Ukraine uh, that really led to the Democrats' hysterical concern about President Trump trying to get the Ukrainians to dig out what really happened. There's a lot of history there that matters in terms of explaining the impeachment fervor on the American left. But back to firing the, uh, the ambassador. President Trump had received reports from his own allies that she was not loyal to his agenda, she was undermining him. I want you to contrast that with the fact that when President Obama was elected in 2008, his first time he was elected, he chose to fire all politically appointed ambassadors who'd been appointed obviously by the previous President George W. Bush. This is not unusual, it's not scary, it's not nefarious. People entering an executive position, such as a president, sometimes a new company, sometimes a new coach, they want their team. When President Obama fired all of Bush's appointees in 2008, there was much explanation and kind of saluting to his right. Hey, he's the commander in chief. He, he gets to do this. The media reaction was one of respect and understanding. Now we're talking about one ambassador President Trump chose to relieve of her responsibilities who had very, uh, he had very reliable and, uh, sources telling him she wasn't loyal to him. More on her later, but I'm, the point in this first five is to contrast the way the media treated Obama firing all ambassadors appointed by President Bush. And there's a lot more to that story, too, uh, versus one ambassador being fired by Trump is supposedly evidence worthy of an impeachment. Not even close. Second way, though, in which the uh, just tremendous contrast between the way the media treats President Trump versus treats President Obama is this. You may have heard that President Trump decided to grant clemency um, to their American military people who over the weekend, President Trump decided to in some way pardon or grant clemency. To be specific, there's Army First Lieutenant Clint LaRance, who was in the middle of serving, had served six years of a 19-year term, 
And this was for his decision made at the spur of the moment in Afghanistan in a war zone with people, Afghani uh, citizens, barreling toward his troops on motorcycles, ignoring the cries of stop, 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 stop. They finally did stop and got out. We're moving what Lawrence thought was aggressively toward the American troops. He's responsible for them. One of his men said, uh, you know, permission to fire. And he said, yes. As it turned out, these people were not armed, at least that moment, although they apparently had residue on their hands, indicating they've been handling uh, weapons of some kind. For that, for firing on people he thought were a threat to American troops, Clint Lawrence was sent to, by military trial, sent to prison. He was going to be serving 19, ter- 19 years, served only six of them. There was also Army Major General Matthew Goldstein, who was facing trial for killing an alleged Taliban bomb maker. He's going to face trial for killing an, Afghanistan, an Afghani bomb, a, a Taliban bomb maker. And so both of those people, President Trump decided, gave them full pardon, so they are free. The third person that President Trump uh, also granted, he, this is granting clemency to, was Navy SEAL Edward Gallagher, who even though having been found not guilty of a war crime, uh, had still had his rank reduced, and he was granted clemency, meaning by President Trump, meaning his full rank was restored. So in this case, all three cases, President Trump is standing up for the American military who were trying to defend themselves, trying to defend their country, doing what we actually asked them to do when they put themselves in harm's way every day they're out of the country. Joe Biden, presidential candidate, former vice president under President Obama, has weighed in saying that President Trump's granting of the, the clemency and the two pardons makes him, reveals to the American people that President Trump is not competent to serve as commander-in-chief. Allow me to remind you what Biden's commander-in-chief, Obama, did while Biden was in the White House and Obama was president. You may recall, President Obama made a deal. He made a deal for the return of Bo Bergdahl, who had abandoned his unit. He had been AWOL. He was AWOL absent without leave, abandoned his unit in Afghanistan, wandered off. They sent people looking for him, resulting in the deaths of six American military men. Six people died, our own soldiers, looking for this AWOL character. And Obama traded, so excited to try to get Bergdahl back. He made a deal, June of 2014, President Obama released the Taliban Five from Gitmo. I have the extremely wonderful Matthew producer has their pictures. I want to show you their pictures. We released these five characters, and there are their pictures. They are they were Guantanamo Bay detainees, and they are Mullah Narala Nari, Mohammed Nabi Omari, Mohammed Fazal, um, Karwal Kar- Karqua, and Abdul Haq Wasik. I want you to look at those pictures for a moment because we released five Taliban terrorists from Gitmo to get back Bo Bergdahl, who had abandoned the military, caused the death of six American soldiers. And those lovely five you just saw, they are so high ranking that when they were released and sent back to Afghanistan, they were placed by the Taliban in their top political office in Qatar. When America was going to negotiate to get out of Afghanistan, we had to sit and negotiate against these people who we had actually in custody 
in Gitmo. These are terrorists. So the idea of Biden, of all people, and a couple of the other presidential candidates weighed into, I think Buttigieg had some idiotic comment. But Biden, who sat silently as Obama gave the, the Taliban back five leaders to get back a, an, a, a, an AWOL soldier whose motive was unclear, questioned by many whether whose side he was really even on, and that was okay with Biden. He thought Obama was a really swell commander-in-chief. He thinks he'd be just like Obama. And I just want to close this first five by saying this. If any, everything President Trump does or says or doesn't do or doesn't say is subject to the just relentless attack of the American left, the determination to vilify, humiliate, mock, excoriate this president. And you can't, none of us on the conservative side can spend all our time defending every word Trump says or doesn't say or every action he takes or doesn't take. But these particular examples, the contrast between not just the way the media treats President Obama versus how they treat President Trump, but how elected officials treat, treated President Obama versus how they treat President Trump. The left is trying to plant the seed in the American mind and think the thoughts of the American people that President Trump doesn't know what he's doing, isn't allowed to be commander in chief, doesn't know how to serve. Look, he messed up again. My gosh, he fired an ambassador. No one fires ambassadors. Well, actually, no, actually Obama fired all of them. Probably something Trump should have done. Trump got into office, you know, in 2016 or start of 2017 with not a, you know, a wealth of connections inside the political state department, you know, diplomatic core. He maybe didn't feel he was in a position at that very moment to ask for the resignations of all the ambassadors. But, you know, looking back, he probably should have. It was a good move on President Obama's part. It allowed him to decide who he wanted in place. But it's a great segue in wrapping up this first five to say this. The more you understand about what President Obama was up to when he came into office in 2008, what President Obama intended to do to this country, the more logical it is that he would have immediately fired ambassadors and other people chosen by the previous president, George W. Bush, because his agenda, Obama's agenda, was not the pro-America agenda. It was not keeping Americans safe. It was not protecting America. It was to advance his left-wing worldviews, combination of both, very much a socialist mindset, abandoning the idea of America's unique greatness. It was a globalist mindset versus a nationalist standing up for American greatness. It was an extreme sympathy for Islam that allowed, that, that forced him or caused him to be unable to deal well with the threat of Islam. In fact, if anything, many of his actions seem to embolden the Islamic terrorism in this world, particularly his conduct toward Iran and doing the Iranian nuclear deal. So Obama's decision when he came into office was to say, new Boston town, new rules, new standards, new principles, no more of this, you know, America's a good guy anymore. Obama came in to radically change America and he set out to do it. And that's a great segue to our next segment because in wrapping up this first five, understand what this little two examples I gave you, this happens to President Trump all day long, every day. What was okay for Obama to do, not okay for Trump to do. What was okay for Obama to, to uh, put his imprimatur on her, his presidency, not okay if Trump does that. This goes on in ways seen and unseen all the time. And we have to, as patriots, 
as people who support the constitutional form of government, the democratic republic our country is, we have to recognize there is a massive monolithic fight going on in this country to destroy this president, to destroy the, the presidency itself, the power, the existence of constitutional government. We cannot surrender one issue. It's a war we cannot pull back from. We cannot surrender a little bit thinking if we just give in here, then maybe we can win over here. What we are facing in this country, as evidenced by the impeachment, but also just by the relentless attacks on President Trump, is a very monolithic American left focused on socialism, focused on diminishing America's role in the world, focused on embracing globalism, focused on diminishing the unique greatness of America and our, the founding ideas of our country, and they are playing out that battle in issue after issue after issue. It's our job as patriots to stand up for this country at all times on all issues. And that, my friends, is today's First Five. I want to turn and talk about something I, I saw, I listened to um, over the weekend, kind of wrapped it up this morning, um, and this ties back to the impeachment. And, you know, I've been comment, commenting a lot on the impeachment. On, you know, we've had many show segments about the impeachment as a continuation of the coup that started inside the FBI and DOJ, and that's exactly what it is. It is the continuation of the coup. But there are particular things that I read about and learned about that I want to pass along to you because they explain not only, not only why this impeachment is happening, but what was happening, this impeachment effort based on this truly innocuous, almost irrelevant call between President Trump and President Zelensky of the Ukraine, but why that sparked this impeachment fervor, why the left is hysterically determined to hide from the American people the identity of the whistleblower got the whole thing started. And to be clear, everyone knows who the whistleblower was, Eric Charamella. Everybody knows it. It's been all over the place. The left is trying to keep it out of the mainstream airwaves, but I'm going to say it and it matters that you understand because it's key to understanding what is driving the left's determination and this fervor to impeach President Trump. Backing up. We mentioned the ambassador having testified last week, Yovanovitch, and she was claiming she was very, very hurt and offended and outraged and upset and, and just, just so, you know, you're just kind of beside herself uh, that she was, her loyalty was questioned in the phone call between Trump and Zelensky. Now, you might remember that uh, Zelensky and Trump both in this conversation viewed the ambassador, uh, she was by then the previous ambassador, but the previous ambassador uh, under Obama, she'd been appointed by Obama in 2016, so, and she's been over there as Ukrainian ambassador, and she was in this conversation between Trump and Zelensky, criticized by both of them, kind of part of the, and I think the term was the bad guys or the people doing bad things. Well, what I, I learned about over the weekend, I want to share with you and actually urge you to go listen to it yourself. Um, and that is a very lengthy, it's actually two hours long, didn't need to be that long, but a two hour video prepared by Glenn Beck. It's a video that's called, I think like the Democrat um, Hydra, H-Y-D-R-A. You know, it's the many headed snake. But what he uncovered, and we've talked about bits and pieces of this in the past. We've talked about George Soros in the past on the show and the many ways in which he is using his seemingly endless, you know, uh, endless bucket of money, his billions and billions and billions and billions to shape the world in his image. But part of the story related to the Ukraine goes back to the reality that this effort that the NGOs, the non-governmental organizations, NGOs created by 
not just by Soros, but started by Soros and other ones kind of proliferating out, other little subset organizations. These NGOs carry out the mission of the George Soros, the big Open Society Foundation, which is to start with the absolute destruction of freedom in the world, F complete destruction of the idea of America, of a country founded on Judeo-Christian values, a country founded on the inherent right to live in freedom. George Soros is a, you know, a de very determined atheist. He views any reference to God as just offensive, and he's also a radical, radical socialist. He wants very much to bring the world, as, as leftists always do, as socialists always do, their mission is to bring the people, the masses, into submission to the government, into submission to those in charge. He wants to be in charge by bringing the masses into submission and then orchestrating who runs countries. So part of the effort he does uh, that this is George Soros, part of the effort he has done for decades is to intentionally, intentionally instigate tumult, to intentionally stir up people in countries all over the world to lead to uprisings that appear to the media who are not particularly tuned in, not particularly aware. The media, they seem like, and they're characterized as indigenous organic, just all of a sudden people are upset. You think, wow, people, they must really be upset uh, because look at all these people protesting. And we have been deluded into thinking that these protests were truly organic. It is in part that the tiny example in America, Occupy Wall Street. There was a, the country was doing great, is doing great, but Occupy Wall Street emerged. And this was not organic. It was not a bunch of really patriotic Americans sitting around and recognizing things that had to change. This is the result of intentional funded agitation by George Soros to get people stirred up. And I, I know people like this who would watch these protests in America, Occupy Wall Street, now it's Antifa. They watch these and they think, wow, America must be a terrible country because why would all these otherwise sane people be wound up? There must be things I don't understand. I must be missing the boat. I must not really realize you know, how really terrible America is. And here I thought it was a great country. So understanding that this is a Soros mindset, he does this all over the world. He creates organizations and movements. He puts people on the ground, he trains them to stir up agitation, to be angry, to be agitated, to spread agitation, to encourage others to be agitated. So this is a Soros mission. Once he has the country in tumult, and he's in the middle of it, and his people are in the middle of it, and his organization's in the middle of it, all the tumult often results in the overthrow of the government. His mission then to understand why he wanted to have, what, what he was doing in the Ukraine was, and, and many countries around the world is, once the agitation starts, he wants to be the one to orchestrate who gets put into power. He is bringing about his, you know, open society worldview, George Soros, socialist rule of this world, uh, all under the guise of happy sounding, friendly sounding terms. And people think, you know, they, they watch it from the outside and they, they just can hardly believe. They think, wow, well, I guess I didn't understand the history very well of the Ukraine because look at all this protest. So the George Soros mission, and I'm getting around to the Ukraine, and I'm getting around to the impeachment, so hang in there. But what, 
what George Soros has been doing around the world is step one, identify, train, and fund people, civil society groups to mobilize. This is a Soros term. He's trying to bring out civil society, the most uncivilized society possible, but he chooses a term everybody likes. And then, the, the, and this is where the Americans come in. So in the Ukraine, in the Ukraine, we had our State Department money, which to understand is your money, your tax dollars, State Department money funneled to help the George Soros NGO agitators stir up agitation inside the Ukraine. So our tax dollars are going to George Soros NGOs, not just in the Ukraine, but all over the world, to stir up agitation and hatred against their government, to bring about this toppling of government. So in the Ukraine, under President Obama, when Hillary Clinton was Secretary of State, and even after she was done with that job, she has spoken about a great program they had in place to help train people in these countries to understand social media, use of social media, how you can, and so it sounds like such a great thing. Oh, great, you're bringing the internet to the masses. This is wonderful. They'll have access to, you know, information. It was a very intentional, agitating, intending to create agitation effort and the American government, you, our government, was funding this in the Ukraine and other places. This ambassador who's now, you know, just uh, taken aback and, you know, she t described, I was just, I almost, I, I, I was so shocked. You know, the color drained from my face. I couldn't believe that President Trump said something so mean about me. She's been in the middle of this. She's part of the effort in the Ukraine to get money from the State Department to the agitators. And, uh, and so this is why, this is what Trump President Trump was apparently referring to in his conversation with President Zelensky, who's not part of the Ukrainian government that was in existence then. He's not part of the cabal that was actually assisting in, in, in this whole, he wasn't aware, of, he wasn't involved, Zelensky was not, in what was happening in 2016. So you had all this agitation happening inside the Ukraine, funded by the American government, which is the NGO created by Soros' intent to destroy the 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 nation to destroy the the government to destroy the culture and society is to lead people into agitation so the state department leaps into place they train activists so they're ready when they've got something they can get people protesting about they've got them using social media orchestrating on on facebook youtube twitter orchestrating all of this uh, corruption. And then the State Department bringing in their proxies is actively supporting this opposition. And finally, when it all gets going, the idea is once they've toppled the, the government, they put in people they want. All of this was happening in the Ukraine. And the ambassador, well aware of it, seeming to be facilitating it, helping with it. And there are now, um, and there was actually another piece I'll talk about in just a moment, but there are now um, emails that came to light through a Freedom Information Act showing that the alleged whistleblower that everyone knows the name of, except, you know, somehow the Democrats in Washington think they're keeping it secret by not allowing it to be said during these impeachment proceedings, but the alleged whistleblower, Eric Charmella, was getting updates on George Soros' personal Ukraine activities. Charmella, the whistleblower, outraged by a conversation between Trump and Zelensky, he was getting emails all along, long before the famous phone call in July of this year, long before there was any reason to be concerned that Trump would even win 
This guy's in the middle of it with the Soros people. And he's and so there are a whole cast of characters, list of characters connected with a Ukraine desk in the State Department and within the National Security Council who were either aware of, complicit, um, and in some ways even fomenting or agitating, but certainly vaguely aware of and not doing a darn thing about it, all of what was happening using State Department money, your tax dollars, inside the Ukraine to stir up agitation. This is what was happening in the Ukraine. This explains why Adam Schiff, who is perfectly aware of all of this, I'm going to, you know, I, I would bet, I, he hasn't personally like called me and told me that, but I'm telling you, this is why Schiff is so hysterical, because blowing open, not just that this ambassador was agitating against President Trump, for whom she's supposed to be working, but that the State Department had, generally speaking, been assisting the agitation inside the Ukraine and other places. And I'll tell you something, I don't have the date in front of me, but one time on my show, I don't know when, when it was, but one time on my show, I, I had a whole bunch of, it was a show I think dedicated to Soros, but I laid out all of these organizations that he has, um, that he funds, and then the organizations fund other organizations. It's a giant, giant spider web. And within all of that, a good friend of mine who does, who is the most amazing, amazing forensic researcher, you know, or cyber researcher, she dug in and dug in and dug in. And she actually called me to say like three years ago, you know, you do realize that the State Department is funding George Soros based organizations, NGOs, to which I said, I don't think so. I don't think they'd really do that. But they have been, and they are. And this is what the left is trying so hard to keep out of the understanding of the American people, to keep out of the headlines, to keep Americans from recognizing it's not really a question of whether Trump said something that you could you know, orchestrate or manipulate into a quid pro quo or into bribery in a conversation with Zelensky. It is the entire nefarious ongoing effort of the State Department to fund the agitation deliberately being created by George Soros to bring about a world in which Soros' view of the world, how government should function, how, uh, you know, who should be in charge, and, and to just crush to quell the voices of liberty, the voices of people who want self-government, the voices of liberty who do not want to live under socialism. This is the effort of George Soros. Everyone you know, paying attention realizes he's an evil actor, but most of America didn't realize the State Department was funding much of it. So on my website, americacanwetalk.org, I urge you to go there on the homepage under shows, scroll down, list of links. There is a link to the entire Glenn Beck video, because he's got pictures and copies of emails. It's two hours long. I can't do it here. I will say you can skip about the first hour at least. It's, it's a lot of lead up in case you want, you know, the history of the Council on Foreign Relations and Woodrow Wilson and FDR, which is relevant, but not really relevant to where we are today. You can start about an hour in. It's still an hour to listen to, but full of data, important to understand. This is really what is driving the Democrats so completely crazy. And it's a kind of an interesting parallel I wanted to mention to you. You realize that we had the FBI and DOJ coup, the Russia-Trump collusion hoax. We had the coup inside the FBI and DOJ. And now what we have is Attorney General Barr and U.S. Attorney Durham 
looking into, trying to get to the bottom of it, trying to figure out how in the world did this loopy, false hoax allegation that Trump colluded with the Russians, how did that ever get started? That's what Durham is looking into. That's what that U.S. Attorney Durham is going to report on, hopefully pretty darn soon. We can't wait much longer, but hopefully soon. Well, the same way the Democrats are trying to hurry this impeachment through the House and into the Senate, because they don't want the American people starting to question their hysteria over an obviously innocuous phone call between Trump and Zelensky. They want to get this impeachment done and off their desk. They don't want the American people asking, how do we get here? The Democrats want to hide the roots, the core beginning of the Russia-Trump collusion. And they still, and they also want to hide from the American people the beginnings of the genesis of the Trump-Ukraine collusion thing. One last little point in this story, and I could go on, there's so many pieces to tell you, but one last point to make is, you know, is an odd thing. President Trump was accused of having colluded with the Russians and having an inexplicable sympathy for Putin and being too friendly toward Putin. But stop and think about this. When the Ukrainians were asking for weapons to help them defend them against the Russians, Obama as we talked about last week, someday on the show, Obama sent them blankets. Trump sent them weapons. President Trump actually helped the Ukraine prepare to defend itself against Trump, uh, against Russia and Putin's aggression toward the Ukraine. Trump is helping the Ukraines protect themselves from the Russians, something Obama would not do. For people still trying to claim, well, there's something weird about Trump and Putin. No way. I mean, they, Trump has been more um, ardent, stronger, more insistent on protecting countries from Russia's aggression and from preventing Russia from having a, uh, you know, any kind of a, you know, a control over the flow of energy, control over oil. Trump has been stronger standing up against the Russian aggression than President Obama ever was. Many more pieces to tell, but I want to go on to two other quick stories today. So, Attorney General Barr, the, our um, Attorney General who uh, is, you know, was newly appointed um, under President Trump, gave a speech at the Federalist Society. And the Federalist Society um, is a society of lawyers. And, you know, one reason I just love this speech is that Attorney General Barr is a, an intellectual force to be reckoned with. I mean, he's brilliant. He is a historian about the Constitution. He is a researcher. He's a thinker. And he has confidence in his views. He has confidence in what he thinks, what he knows the Constitution means, what the rights are of a president to within the structure of the Constitution, what the rights are of President Trump, what they were of President Obama, you know, what the actors are all doing in Washington. He has command of the law in a way that many past attorneys general uh, did not have. And not just the law, it's a larger sense. It is a larger sense of the place of the Constitution, the purpose of the government, the purpose of the three branches. He's a deep thinker, and he spoke at the Federalist Society, and you know, much to the chagrin of the leftists in this country, because he really came on very strong in this speech of the Federalist Society uh, to talk about the um, what is happening in America today. And so I have Matt 
the very wonderful producer. Uh, and actually, I always say I always say that really fast. I really do have a very wonderful producer, Matt Stoker, here at Real News PR, Real News Communications Network. He is a very always reliable, responsible. I send him last-minute clips, last-minute changes, and he's just been wonderful. So I really appreciate him. And here we go. I want him to play this little clip. This is Attorney General Barr speaking at the Federalist Society. I wanted to choose a topic this afternoon uh, for this afternoon's lecture that had an originalist uh, angle, and it will likely come as little surprise to this group that I've chosen to speak about the Constitution's approach to executive power. I deeply admire the American presidency as a political and constitutional institution. I believe it is one of the great and remarkable innovations in our Constitution and has been one of the most successful features of the Constitution in protecting the liberties of the American people. More than any other branch, it has fulfilled the expectations of the framers. Unfortunately, over the past several decades, we have seen the steady encroachment on executive authority by the other branches of government. This process, I think, has substantially weakened the function of the presidency to the detriment of the nation. And this afternoon, I would like to expand a bit on these themes. First, let me say a little about the frame, what the framers had in mind in establishing an independent executive in Article II of the Constitution. The grammar school civics class version of our revolution is that it was a rebellion against monarchical tyranny and that in framing our Constitution, one of the preoccupations, the main preoccupation of the founders was to keep the executive weak. This is misguided. By the time of the glorious revolution of 1689, monarchical power was effectively neutered and had begun its steady decline. Parliamentary power was well on its way to supremacy and was effectively in the driver's seat. By the time of the American Revolution, the patriots well understood that their prime antagonist was an overweening parliament. Indeed, British thinkers came to conceive of parliament as the very seat of sovereignty. You know, we, his speech is lengthy, and that's also linked, by the way, on our website, americacanwetalk.org. Again, on the homepage, under shows, scroll down, and there's a link to his speech. I really encourage you to listen to all, although it is quite lengthy. Three points I want to make about it. One is, this is Attorney General Barr, the, the current Attorney General, and he's in at a meeting which he realizes is being televised. He knows that he's going to be criticized, but he came forth with some pretty powerful things uh, that I want to share with you that he had to say. Uh, one is that he talked about there's just this endless effort of the uh, American left and the media, which is just one big glob, you know, the, I always call them the Democrat media mob, but a constant effort to say that President Trump is shredding the Constitution. And you hear people use it. He's shredding the Constitution. And Barr said, you know, when I ask him what exactly you're referring to, I get vacuous stares followed by sputtering about the travel ban or some such thing. And he went on to say, President, uh, I mean, Attorney General Barr went on to say that um, there's a, this president is certainly, you know, non-traditional. He's not like your typical Beltway guy. 
But he said, what I'm talking about today are fundamental constitutional precepts. The fact is, and this is Attorney General Barr's words, the fact is that this administration's policy initiatives and proposed rules, including the travel ban, have transgressed neither constitutional nor traditional norms and have been amply supported by the law and patiently litigated through the court system to vindication. He's pointing out that when the courts finally, and really you can't even count on the district and appellate courts, the Supreme Court that actually still tries to apply the law, all of what President Trump has done is within constitutional norms. The travel ban, which I don't use that term, is like the protect America, you know, require vetting from people from terrorist countries, executive order, but in any case, he's defending and saying, as the top legal mind, or at least top legal figure in our country outside the Supreme Court, nothing President Trump has put in place violates the Constitution or federal law. He also said, indeed, measures undertaken by this administration seem a bit tame when compared to some of the unprecedented steps taken by the Obama administration's aggressive exercises of executive power, such as under its DACA program, refusing to enforce broad swaths of immigration law. So to point number one, he's saying Trump is not violating, President Trump is not violating the Constitution or federal law or existing constitutional norms President Obama did. Number two, he's saying he called out the resistance. He actually talked about, you know, as soon as President Trump won this, the resistance emerged. And these are people who just were pretty much on the on the kind of everyday guy resistance person just outraged that their gal Hillary did not win. That's what they're outraged about. And they want, they cannot believe a guy who will not salute. And this is going to tie back to our last our discussion, discussion in the last segment about what's happening in the impeachment. They can't believe someone who doesn't understand that the deep state really rules this country. And this is what Hillary understands and Trump was saying no to. And Trump said drain the swamp the deep state is not going to run this country. So what the second point that you had Attorney General Barr making in this Federalist Society speech was this basic idea that the resistance is not just a kind of, you know, political discussion, one side versus the other. He, he described it as is waging a scorched earth, no holes barred war of resistance against this administration. It is the left that is engaged in the systematic shredding of norms and the undermining of the rule of law. If, one more sentence. This highlights a basic disadvantage that conservatives have always had in contesting the political issues of the day. Basically, that in the conservative side, we um, have old, as he called them, curmudgeonly, Federalist people in an essay. Basically, we, we don't fight. The conservatives don't fight. Third point he made is, what, the, what progressive politics are really always, always about. In any age, the so-called progressive treat politics as their religion. Their holy mission, H-O-L-Y, holy mission, is to use the coercive power of the state to remake man and society in their own image according to an abstract ideal of perfection. Whatever means they use is therefore justified because by definition, they are virtuous people pursuing a deific end. They're willing to use any means necessary to gain momentary advantage in achieving their end, regardless of collateral consequences and the systemic implications. They never ask whether the actions they could take could be justified as a general rule of conduct equally applicable to all sides. 
It was a very powerful speech. As you might imagine, the American left is out of their minds. People calling for his resignation, calling for him to be impeached as attorney general, because how dare he say these things? And people, I got to tell you, I think, I, I respect the daylights out of Attorney General Barr. I think he's extraordinary. I think he's a gifted thinker and he's a gifted, um, you know, tactician. And he's, he has the quality the left thought they only had a stranglehold on, which is relentlessness. Attorney General Barr didn't just take the Mueller report and say, okay, we're done. Mueller said, you know, no crime here, no collusion, no obstruction, move on. What happened after the Mueller report came out is that Attorney General Barr said, we're going to get to the bottom of this. We're going to understand how in the world this complete hoax got cooked up inside the FBI, DOJ, who did it, what crimes might they have committed. And so this is a, this is a speech, whether you think it is appropriate or it's, not, it's certainly not customary for the Attorney General to make a speech of this magnitude during the time he's actively serving, although I will say, for people getting all bent out of shape, they ought to take a look at some things that Attorney General Holder said under the Obama administration. Uh, he wasn't a silent little mouse sitting back saying nothing. Attorney General Barr is one of the few characters in this country with a national microphone, a national voice, and I argue an actual responsibility to the preservation of America to point out how extreme, radical, and, and out of line, out of bounds, the American left has become. He's doing exactly what a patriot would do. He's saying what must be said in these times because you, we just have to understand, folks, this is a battle for keeps. This is a battle, and uh, uh, what we're facing from the American left is a battle for the preservation of America as founded. Withdrawal, concession, conceding, compromise cannot be on the table with them. They are about destroying America, destroying the right of the people to choose the president and tying back to the deep state. What you're seeing on the American left is they've decided as, as this ambassador who's whining about losing her job, as you heard uh, Vinman, the lieutenant colonel, basically saying that because he's a member of the National Security Council and he has opinions about the Ukraine, he's entitled to tell the Ukrainian officials to ignore the president because he's wrong. And we, the deep state, we, Vinman, we run this place. That mindset lives in the American left. It lives in the, it's the mindset of the socialist, the George Soros, the NGOs, the State Department, the DOJ, the FBI are filled with people who think they're entitled to rule. They find President Trump's willingness to stand up, to say what's true, to fight for what's true, to push back. They find it shocking beyond belief because there has not been a conservative in the history of America in the last hundred years who has stood up in this manner against the monolithic left that marches in step to destroy this country with the help of left-wing media. And, and given all those circumstances, I am so proud and so grateful for Attorney General Barr having had the backbone and the strength of character to make that speech. One last topic for today, my very fine friends. You know, I, this is a topic, Michelle Malkin, who's been on the show a couple times, you know, she's a, you know, she's a warrior on, on the American right, the conservative side. You know, she's written books. They're always like encyclopedic. In fact, the last time she was on, we were talking about her book called Border Inc., I think it was called, uh, full of footnotes, detailed to death. So Michelle Malkin 
has been a spokesman for the Young America's Foundation. Young America's Foundation, founded in 1969, a just a stellar organization, basically committed, <clears throat> excuse me, basically committed to young people and conservative ideas, committed to encouraging young people to stand up for and understand conservative values. Young America's Foundation has had Michelle Malcolm as a speaker for 15 years. And yesterday, I think it was, or even maybe this morning, today, <clears throat> no, I guess it was two days ago, they announced that they are severing, they, Young America's Foundation, are severing their relationship with Michelle Malkin. The issue is an organization, rather it's an individual to start with, a guy named Nick Fuentes, F-U-E-N-T-E-S, Nick Fuentes, um, who is a, uh, apparently, by things he has written and said, he's a white supremacist. He's a white supremacist. He has a group going, uh, and I, I don't even, it's funny, that the group, his followers call themselves the Groypers, like G-R-O-Y-P-E-R-S, Groypers. It's uh, something to do with Pepe the Frog, not my thing. But anyway, they call themselves the Groypers, and they are followers of Nick Fuentes. So he alleges himself to be a conservative, but he's a white supremacist. He ha apparently, I mean, he has, uh, he and his group, Hassle, Turning Point USA, when they're on campus giving speeches, they have a few statements attributed to the, um, some of the people affiliated with this Groypers, Nick Fuentes guy. Um, he actually apparently, or someone affiliated with his group, basically said um, they believe that, in fact, oh, here's the quote. I really want to read you the exact quote. So this is a guy who's a speaker for Groypers, affiliated with Nick Fuentes, who said about this, about segregation? You can listen. I'm not going to play the clip, but it is available on a clip. Enough with the Jim Crow stuff. Who cares? Oh, I had to drink out of a different water fountain. Big effing deal. Oh, no. They had to go to a different school. Even if it was bad. Who cares? It was better for them. It's better for us. This is a guy, a supporter of Nick Fuentes, saying he supports segregation. He does not mind, you know, the separate water fountain, separate schools. He's anti-Semitic. This group is anti-Semitic. And so, so he's obviously, and, and this is why I want to get right the real point of this, this segment. So apparently Michelle Malkin has defended this guy, Nick Fuentes, kind of saying, hey, we got one big tent here, you know, he's writing a lot of things, but I guess he's off on this, you know, he's anti-Semitic, he's a white supremacist. And so... Young America's Foundation basically said, you know, we're, we're conservative and this has nothing to do with conservatism. This is wrong and we, we cannot affiliate ourselves with anyone who would support this kind of talk. Which leads me to what I want to say about conservatism and the difference between Republicans and Democrats. Think about, so by the way, and Young America's Foundation is right, 100% right, that if, if Michelle Malkin cannot denounce this guy is dangerous for them and they should not have her speaking for them if that's you know if she's supporting this guy but here's what i really wanted to say about all this in politics on the democrat side and many people point this out it never matters what any democrat does wrong ever 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 hillary clinton is a walking felony she has a litany of huge problems behind her huge corruption known to the world not even a question and yet you could not get a Democrat in this country, in Washington at least, to criticize her, to even say she might be a little bit morally unfit. They won't do it. They always stick together. On the conservative side of the aisle, on the Republican side, we have 
you know, the, the most popular president in decades among Republicans, President Trump, and we have a former presidential candidate in the, um, <clears throat> in the uh, now serving in the U.S. Senate, Mitt Romney, who spends half his day finding reasons to criticize President Trump. On our side, we air our dirty linen, we criticize publicly all the time. And people say, and I agree with this notion, that's because on the right we actually think. We think about what we believe in. We're a party of thinkers and we stand up for principles. And we aren't going to stand behind someone when they're unprincipled. And I think that's exactly right. It's exactly right to say when someone goes off the reservation and they're really wrong, like this guy, Nick Fuentes, anything to do with white supremacism, has nothing to do with being Republican, nothing to do with conservatism, nothing to do with being pro-America. It is the most white supremacy, anti-Semitism are profoundly un-American ideas. And on the right, the party that stands up for America and conservatism, we must denounce those evil ideas and the people who voice them. They have no place in the Republican Party, no place in the leadership of conservatism. So Young America's Foundation is right about that. The only but I want to add is this. We need to do a better job on our side making a distinction between issues that are, you know, we can agree to disagree, you know, uh, we're on the right side of the aisle, we're both on the same side, conservative side, but we disagree about X. I can list some issues like, you know, there are conservatives, Republicans, who say we should legalize drugs. I do not agree, but I understand it's a policy position. We can talk about it. We have people who are pushing more and more um, about prison reform to, to some point that makes some conservatives concerned. We can have disagreements. There are some issues that are just policy differences on the right side of the aisle, and that's fine. There are other issues that simply must be walk away from that person, van vanquish them, push them out of our, don't, don't let them taint us. And the principle, and, and those are principle ideas, ideas based on principle, like racism. If you're a white supremacist, you have no home in the Republican Party, no home in the conservative movement. You are, that is, is a profoundly anti-American idea and you can't voice it on our behalf. It's ugly and evil and wrong. But we have to be able to make distinctions between agree to disagree, that are policy issues, and principles which we simply can never tolerate, never will, anti-Semitism, white supremacism fall in those categories, and there are others. And one reason I raise this before I go to my first five, I'll tell you folks, I do this show every day out of love of this country. I speak about all sorts of issues. I try to give history and background and details, and I give you links. You can go on my website, americacanbetalk.org, and look at them. You can read them yourself. I've had people email me after a show and say, you said something nice about John Bolton. That's it. I'm unsubscribing. I'm never listening to you again. And I have people who said that about other guests I've had in the show. You had, I, I, you had so and so on. I hate that person. People, we don't have enough conservatives. We don't have enough Republicans for the stomp my feet, pick up my marbles and go home attitude over every policy disagreement. We have to recognize the threat to America is the monolithic American left. It is a radical threat. On the conservative side, the patriotic side, the love America side, the constitutional side, we have to be able to entertain differences of opinion without the stomp, stomp my feet, grab, pick up my marbles, go home and never talk to you again attitude. There aren't enough now, and this is why I get to the point about Malkin, Michelle Malkin, who's 
writing and speaking so far in my life. I thought it was great. I, I don't understand what her, why she's defending this Nick Fuentes guy, but the writing and thinking that she's done is spectacular. But this is one issue. White supremacy, anti-Semitism, we have to say those people have to walk away. They can't be in this, this great GOP that embraces a variety of policy solutions, that embraces different people, embraces people of every race, religion, uh, national identity, skin color, origin, all of those things. All those people are welcome in the GOP side, in the Republican side, in the conservative side. All those people are welcome. But some ideas can never be welcomed on the conservative side. White supremacy, anti-Semitism, and other ones we can't get into today are not welcome and must be banished. And now, my friends, let's talk about why the stories that we talk about again, why the stories we talked about today matter to you. Our first story for today, we had firing the ambassador and pardoning patriots. Obama fired all U.S. ambassadors on taking office, no cause and no media firestorm. Trump fires an incompetent, disloyal, Obama holdover ambassador to the Ukraine, Yovanovitch, and mainstream media and Democrats are hysterical. They think it's a basis for impeachment. Obama traded five Taliban commanders for deserter Bo Bergdahl, no media firestorm. Trump pardons U.S. soldiers for defending America against our enemies, and the Democrats are hysterical. Obama is and remains the elephant in the room for all aspects of the resistance, impeachment, deep state abuses, handcuffing the military, and fighting Islamic terrorists. We didn't get that, by the way. A lot of the problems that caused that, that Trump is trying to remedy had to do with the rules of engagement that Obama put in place that were just more about, it was more of his social engineering endangering our troops. But second topic for today, deep state and the impeachment zeal, the origins of the probe questions now at the heart of Russia hoax and Ukrainian hoax. Take time to watch Glenn Beck's The Democrats Hydra. Exposure of the radical left's eight-plus year infiltration of the U.S. government. Documented explanation of the nature and magnitude of resistance to President Trump. Impeachment is a scripted, theatrical means to an end, removing Trump. There is no legal substance to it whatsoever. Ridding the U.S. government of the Obama, Soros, open society zealots is mandatory and the need is immediate ending the impeachment scam is only a first step attorney general Barr speaking truth attorney general Barr's november 15th speech to the federalist society is long but encouraging he understands the constitution he says the left is shredding the left is shredding the rule of law he sees through the tactics and aims of the left he calls out the resistance he reveals historic truth but the constitution intended a strong president he contrasts obama's abuse of presidential power and the rule of law and affirms trump's actions are not violating the constitution or law Better go to the last slide here because we're almost out of time malkin and the young america's foundation the left never fights in public they still support hillary no matter her trail of wrongdoing conservatives struggle about when to walk away the issue is fundamental principles principles and you have to walk away or policy differences we have to agree to disagree border security versus abandoning the borders. That is a walk away issue. Exactly where a wall is needed? No, that's a agree to disagree. Enforcement of immigration laws versus supporting sanctuary cities. It's a walk away issue. What to do about DACA? You know, that's more of an agree to disagree. Legalization of marijuana or other drugs. We can agree to disagree. 
I would never support that, but I will understand conservatives, some conservatives want it. Criminal justice reform, more of the agree to disagree, but white supremacy, racism, and anti-Semitism are walk away issues. My very fine friends, this is America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Check out our website, americacanwetalk.org. Please help me out on Facebook. Like this page, share it with your friends, encourage them to like it, comment on it. If you're on YouTube, subscribe to this page. I love your comments. I try to respond. Email me at americacanwetalk at gmail.com. I try to answer all of them. I am behind. And if you're on, if you're watching this on Twitter, please follow me at Debbie Can We Talk. I love talking truth about America every day. That's why I do this show. I speak up for America because America matters. I'll talk to you next time. Can we talk truth about America? Can you?